0: Okay, so Alan read, what, what psalm was it? 101? 50. Psalm 50. 150. So 150. Yes, yeah, yeah. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I was actually going to open with that proclamation this morning. It's amazing. A lot of things have happened so far today that have an extreme amount of relevance to what we're going to be talking about today. Um, can I ask you to stand while we pray? We're going to pray something special. So th- there, this. Um, this thing that's happening, uh, preaching, is not an academic exercise uh, where simply facts are communicated. Uh, it's, it's actually a spiritual miracle that takes place where faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So the, the preaching ministry is the one by which God takes his word and brings it to bear on our hearts. Okay. Okay. And this is a spiritual miracle. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't do it, nothing happens. You collect some more facts, and nothing about your heart or your life is going to change. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you will come today to teach us uh, according to your word. That you that you that you will powerfully work and hide this word in our hearts, so that it transforms us from the inside out. We can do nothing except that which you breathe life into. And so we ask for you to move, especially today, to put true spiritual power into the proclamation of your word. This word belongs to you. It came from you. It is for the glory of your name. And so let it be the means by which you perform surgery on our hearts and shape us more into the image and likeness of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, come and teach us powerfully today. Break our expectations, our molds of what we think can happen. We pray that you will bring rain upon dry lands in our hearts and teach us today about our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Bless you with grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're talking about something amazing. We're talking about adoption. And the brief text is just one verse. For today is 1 John 3, one. I think it's on your newsletters. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So the verse just before this in chapter 2 is this. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Okay, so unless Christ is in you, there can be no righteousness, because righteousness comes from him. So if you have righteousness, it comes from Jesus Christ. And then, okay, so a seminary professor I've, I've, I know said that chapter numbers are from the devil, because they, they, cut, they cut up the text, and you know, you, in your daily reading, you just stop where the chapter ends, probably. But actually, you should go straight on to verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 John, because the The apostolic shout of praise comes based on this, right? Uh, Righteousness has been born of him. So he thinks about being born of God. And then he says, see what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So his praise, his joy comes from the fact that we are born again. This is the miracle that shows God's love towards us. The the word here, so what kind of love, okay, is a very interesting, very. it's only used six times in the New Testament. It's Pain. Uh, and it, its literal rendering would be, from what country? And its usage would be, what kind or what form or what type? But its words literally mean, from what country? So the image it's trying to communicate is, this love is foreign to our land. Where, what kind of love is this? Where does it come from? It comes not from this realm, not from this kingdom of darkness. It comes from the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's glorious son. So he's like, where does such a love come from that would cause us to be born again? That's the, the joy in his, in his proclamation. Now, I, I was sent a link the other day, so I watched this YouTube video. And put your hand up if you've ever seen a YouTube video or something like that of somebody hearing that they've been adopted. Have you seen these before? Okay. So I was just bawling, <laughs> okay, watching, watching this picture of, of, of uh, somewhat of the gospel. This idea that um, this poor, alone child is taken and added to a family um, who expresses their love towards him. Uh, this, is, this is amazing. It's a really, really amazing picture. It's a picture of love and grace. And if it wrenches our hearts when we when we think of that, how much more the adoption of rebel sinners as sons should cause us uh, to weep with joy at the thought. And so the difference, though, the sobering teaching of, of Scripture is that we were not cute orphans. Uh, We were not cute orphans. We were not this adorable, parentless child, um, unable to uh, to fulfill its own needs. And so you graciously take it in because it needs to be. It deserves to have a home, right? Not so much me. Not so much me. We were rebels. Uh, The Bible says that we were children of wrath. Worse, we were of our father, the devil. Not just did we practice evil, but we were evil. Wow. (laughs) Our master was Satan, and we loved his lordship. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, gave us new spiritual life in Christ. So we did not only desire evil, but we were at evil on full boil. Full-blooded evil lovers. Uh, we didn't. We we were deserving of hell. We were not deserving of heavenly bliss. And this makes it all the more glorious the love that God must have for us, in the full knowledge of our desire not to worship God. In that state, He looked upon our helpless estate and was loving towards us. And the even greater thing is. Adoption amongst people takes place in time. You, you find this information about this child. And then you have pity and mercy and love towards them. And then you adopt them. Not so with us and God. Because Ephesians 1.4 says that before the foundation of the world in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. To the praise of his glorious grace. So you were loved that way outside of time for eternity by God the Father. That's a much bigger adoption story. That's radically worthy of praise. And in order to do this, it can be quite expensive in the earthly realm. You can you have to often go through an adoption agency and you pay fees and there's settling costs. And in the States it can uh, cost more to adopt a single child than to run an orphanage of 20 people for a year. It's in, it's, it's insane. It's cost more than a heart transplant in certain adoption agencies. It's, it's incredible. But it's a very tiny pinpoint. Almost, you can't even think about it in comparison to the cost of God's adoption of us. Because what happened in this adoption is that Jesus didn't travel across the world from the U.S. to Ghana to adopt us. He traveled the ins, like the infinite distance that exists between a holy God and a wicked people, between the heavens and the earth, between the perfect and the sinful, between the holy and the unholy, between the lawgiver and the lawbreakers. There was an infinite distance, and he, the king of life, was on the move. That's what we sing in All Hail King Jesus, right? That's what that means. When all was lost, he crossed eternity. He entered into time. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the message of Christmas, right? I'm doing a series on what the meaning of Christmas is on Facebook. One of the ones I did yesterday was adoption. Christmas means, it's part of the adoption story, That God himself entered into humankind in order to adopt to himself sons. And he paid the price for your sin, our Jesus. He died in your place. He was cut off so that you may be united. Right? He was separated that we may be joined. He was deserted that we may be collected. He was abandoned that we may be adopted. That's the price that was paid. And then he rose again and he ripped the bars off death's prison and brought you eternal life. And he ascended to heaven to prepare a place for you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you now. There are many rooms in my father's house. If there wasn't a room, I will tell you. But I'm going away and I'm going to prepare that place for you. And one day he will return and snatch you up into the air to be with the Lord. That's an adoption story. Yeah. So, when we go and we look at the at the Bible's testimony of many things, especially as pertains to God, uh, we tend to go "Yeah, but." I was saying this to Zuko beforehand. We we will look and we say that's nice, but when we come to the Word of God, we have to say yes and thank you. Gratitude is the acceptance of what's been taught to us in scripture. So we don't come to the scriptures and challenge God. We come to the scriptures where God challenges us. Okay. And we don't come to the scriptures and say, I would have done it another way. We come to the scriptures and we say, thank you that you do all things according to the counsel of your will. Does man, does God seek counsel from man from whom has he sought counsel? No one. He is entirely self-sufficient within the community of himself as the as the Trinity. So when we come to something as big as God, as Father, we have to be especially careful that we don't come to church and worship an idol. That we, because God made us, I can't remember who said this. God, we made us in His image, and ever since then we've been returning the favor. (laughs) So we start making God in our image. Uh, We we come to God with categories and thoughts that come from anywhere other than what God has taught us. And then we impose these things and then we worship that God. Now, what does the Bible call that? Idolatry. 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 We come to church and we can raise our hands to something that's made up. What a frightening thought is that. But God has sent his Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, right? And that's what we're doing today, looking at God's word, that we'll be led into truth. Now, one of the ways in which we can bring idolatry to this subject, and it was something that was brought up, I think, two or three weeks ago, but is that when we think of God as Father, the first thing that we do is we think about earthly fathers. We think about male authority, and we have experiences with those, some good, some bad. But none perfect. So if we bring anything other than God's word to, as the, as the, as the lens by which we understand God as Father, we are going to blaspheme God's name. But if we know Him as the Father that He has revealed Himself to be, we don't judge Him by imperfect fathers. We judge other fathers by God's example of fatherhood. We can bring a different lens. We flip it out. We don't look at God. We look from His perspective onto these things. If you look upward towards God with your own lenses, you will be dominated by the things that you have, the bits of information you've collected from well-meaning, both well-meaning people and false teachers. You'll collect all these things, and you'll you'll basically have your own canon of Scripture that you've made up, and you will and you will relate to God on that basis. But no, 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 the Christian life is that we relate to God on the basis of his word through his son, by his spirit. And then we will come to knowledge of the truth. And then we'll be able to experience the full blessings of what it means to be children of God. So as we come to adoption, this is so critical to the Christian life. There, I, I think you could go as extreme as to say that your understanding of Christianity is only up to the limit of your understanding of your identity as sons, that you've been adopted into the household of God. That's the locus of salvation is in Christ that we are adopted into the household of God. He hasn't just redeemed people and left them out there in the wilderness. He has brought them into his household. And we are now members, heirs, a family with the saints of God in his household. And, uh, Jockey shared that amazing, uh, uh, preach on the, the right that we have to become children of God. But it proceeds by saying to those who believe in his name, he gave the right. So what is it, what happens when you believe in, in Jesus' name? Yes, you, you, you are saved. A justification takes place. You are made right before God. The righteousness of Christ is counted to you as your sin was counted to him on the cross. So he's connecting the right to become children with the state of being justified. When you become right before God, you, you obtain this right, this authority, that's, that's what the Greek could render it, authority to become children of God. It's paired with justification. No one who's an unbeliever has the right to become a child of God. People who are believers have the right to become children of God. When you believe in his name, he gives you the right to become children of God. It's not something that's earned, it's something that's given. So if God has revealed that our identity is as sons and daughters with him, then It's actually not really acceptable to relate to God in any other way. As he a father to us and we a son to him. He's the one who in his wisdom has chosen to express his love in that way. And so to walk outside of that is to rob ourselves of the benefits of being sons. But it's also to bring reproach on the name of God as father because he's glorified when he is a father to his children. So let's not rob ourselves of those benefits and privileges of sonship, and let's not rob God of the glory that's due to him in lavishing his love upon us as sons and daughters. We're going to finish the sermon, but don't Not now. Uh, Don't go home. (laughs) Not getting off that easy on Sunday. But don't go home and go, well, that was nice. If you don't get your identity now as sons and daughters, if you have to drive up to the berg by yourself and hide out in a in a cave and scream across the mountaintops to God to come and teach you that he is your father and that you are his son, then that's what you need to do. It's far more important than any other thing that you need to do in your life. You don't need to go and uh, uh, now and just get another degree or buy a new house or whatever. You need to solidify your identity as a son of the living God, the son of the Most High. That's what's important in this life. Everything else can flow from that. But you can you can have the appearance of success and accumulation of, of things and loads of friends and great experiences. But if you don't have the relationship with God as Father, you don't have anything. This is what matters in this life because this is the life we're going to live for eternity. We're not, this is not some... Temporary thing where all we're doing here is just trying to stay alive so that we can stumble in nearly dead into the next life. That's not the idea. Eternal life is now in us uh, because Christ is in us. The hope of glory. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Uh, Colossians one twenty seven. So we are going to go and be with him. And what we are now and what we uh, is not what we will yet be. But uh, we are still to live this life in light of eternity. That's why we have the power to sacrifice and uh, and to lay our own lives down in order for people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay, Now, when we are united with Christ, quite a number of things happen. One of which is that we become partakers of the divine nature. That means that God shares with us his life. It does not mean that we become God. Okay, that's a heresy. We don't become God. He is uncreated. We are created. We are eternally going to be creations. We will not become the creator. We're not Mormons. We don't believe we're going to become God and have a planet with billions of people that worship us. Okay. That's not going to happen. We are going to remain humans. God is the one worthy of worship. We are the we are the ones that he's made to be the objects of his love and to give him that worship. Okay. So we're not going to become gods, but we do share in his life. And that union is so Intimate that he says that let the, me and them be one as you and I are one. That's what he says to the father. That's amazing. And they've eternally been one. That's perfect unity. Three persons, one being the Lord God, the Trinity, eternally preexistent. And we get to share in that life, in that unity, in that level of uh, of joinedness. Let Us be one as you and I are one. That's incredible. And we do need to remember, though, that we are in this union highly exalted, right? We go above everything else that's created. We will judge the angels, but no injury is done to the exaltedness of Christ. As high as we are taken up, he is still higher. So this is not treading on the grounds of heresy to say that we are exalted because Christ says that when we see him, we will be like him, okay? Okay? So if Jesus says that, who are we to think of it as anything lower? No, no, no. That's false humility, right? That's a kind of humility that says, I've, I've earned uh, what I've got to. But true humility is just simply accepting what God has given to you. So if he's chosen to exalt you to such a high place, above the angels, above all else that's created, so that we will be rulers, kings, and priests in the new heavens and the new earth, you don't get to say, well, I... I think I should be a little bit lower than that. That, That's false humility. We just go, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What an unbelievable privilege. So I want to, I've got four R's about adoption that we're going to look at. The right to adoption, the reality of adoption, The rewards of adoption. And finally, the response of adoption. Okay, so the right of adoption, the reality of adoption, the rewards of adoption, and the responsibility. I have to admit, though, that I've chosen the word rewards because there was no other word for benefits that started with an R. Okay, so yeah, what I want to make clear is that you don't earn... (laughs) your adoption, so it's not a reward for earning it, but it's a reward in the sense that once God has made you his adopted children, here are the benefits you get. Okay, so just to, just to clarify, I'm OCD, I could not deal with RRBR. You know me. <laughs> sure, the rights, the reality, the reward, and the responsibility. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So do everybody else. We, we, yeah, we're good to that. Okay, so, uh, on the right. Now, this right is, is an authority-based thing. It's not something that's earned, right? So most of us, uh, think of rights as, like, I have the right to, and you make this declaration about yourself, and it, and it came from something, that you've done something, and now you have this right. Uh, we don't think of adoption as a right in that sense. This is, it's talking about a legal reality. That, because what is done in adoption is that this, you know, this, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to. But now, how did you believe in his name? What does the Bible say about faith? That it's a? It's a gift. So even that comes from God. So how then can we claim that we have, we deserve anything on the basis of something we've done if we didn't do it? God did it. Therefore, he gets the glory, and therefore he gives us authority to walk in uh, the, this uh, identity of being a child of God. Okay, it's unique to believers, to those who believe in his name. Now, it's very common for people to walk around saying that you know everybody's God's child. Uh, I, in, if in the sense you mean that everybody has been created by God and is made in His image, yes. That is true. But if you mean that they experience the um, patoras love, the paternal love of God, the love of God as a father that results in eternal life with him, if you if you, that can't be true, otherwise you're a universalist, and then we don't need Christ. Okay. So only believers are the children of God in the salvific sense. Okay? So the right to become children of God is only for believers. That's why we say, repent and trust in Jesus Christ, and he will take you to himself as a son. Okay. In fact, the Bible says that Satan is the father of unbelievers. That's why you need to be adopted. If people could understand that their father is the devil. But the problem is their hearts love that because they're, their hearts then go, what, like, we just get to continue in this in this sin that I love. But imagine the witness that is born to people like that. You have no joy and no peace and no hope when people really are and act as the children of God. What What witness power does that have? Who wants to become a believer when the believer acts like an orphan? What, why would I want what you have if you don't clearly don't know a father? What, 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 do you, what do you have to offer me? You're telling me I've got to stop my smoking and drinking and all these kinds of things that, that, I, that I really love. But switch it out for what? Some stone-cold orthodoxy where you, you read a book and uh, you're no better than I am. There's nothing, nothing different about us. But if somebody sees the warmth of somebody who knows their father, trusts them, walks in the confidence of being having their identity as a son and know, clearly knows the love. You can see kids who've, who've, like if you see them in public and the mom's out in public and the and it's shopping and the child is like running away or whatever, but it's just joyful and confident and whatever, you can tell that this child has been loved. And it's so should it be with believers, that people come and say, wow. That person is so warm. Where does that come from? Not cold and hard-edged and having the life beaten out of you by a false religious system. That would be the main system that you're under something other than the gospel power. If you are hard-edged, if you're rough and abrasive, um, and the trajectory is not changing. Okay, We're all at different places in our sanctification, but there needs to be some actual movement here. Or the Bible says... You should, you should examine yourselves and see if you're in the faith. So it's not about your position in sanctification, it's about your direction of your life. Because you may have just been saved, or you may have been disobeying God and, and, and resisting the, His sanctifying power in your life. Okay, uh, what else we got here? we got um Yeah, the way in which we adopt it is not the basis of our nature, right? Uh, it's on the basis of a new birth... That comes. So he doesn't adopt us because of who we were. He adopts us because he's going to make us (laughs) into someone else, which is quite amazing. Okay, second R. So that was uh, the right. The reality. The main thing we need to understand is uh, you've probably heard this before, but Roman adoption is very different to modern adoption. And so uh, just bear with me if you heard this before, but essentially, the Legal reality of being adopted in Roman culture is that you lose your previous identity. You lose your name. You lose your history. Any debts that you owed are wiped out. And you, and you yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm up for adoption. Um, and your, those debts are wiped away. You're given a new name. And this is the important thing. If I have a natural child in Roman culture, I can actually cut them off from their inheritance. I can expel them out. I can disown them. But you cannot do that to an adopted child. And so it is with God. We will never be cast out. Our adoption is permanent. It's an everlasting thing. Why? Because we didn't get ourselves adopted. God adopted us. And what he began, what he authored, Hebrews tells us he will perfect. If he has authored our faith, he will perfect it. And the golden chain of redemption, they call it in Romans 8, all who are justified will be glorified. So there's no such thing as, as being a, a true believer and then losing your salvation. Because his promise is that since I have done this, you will be glorified. All who are justified are glorified. Otherwise, God's a liar. But there are lots who, may, who, who bear false witness and they say, yes, I'm saved. But they were not truly saved. All who are justified in God will be glorified. So if you are a child of God... You don't have to run around going, my father's going to abandon me. My father's, people's fathers abandon themselves all the time. No, no, not this father. Thank you, Lord. Not this father. Thank you, father. Jude 24 says that God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great and exceeding joy. This is not, a. we don't. Walk around afraid, terrified that God is going to cast us out. No, no, we live this life now with assurance, with joy. And the point about assurance is, uh, so Romans eight I'm just going to read this passage to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long; we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. As our verse says, children of God, and so we are and so we will continue to be and so we will always be thank you lord so that's the reality it's permanent the rewards the benefits <laughs> the greatest greatest benefit of being a child of god is the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. <laughs> we could stop there. What a gift. And uh, in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is even referred to as a deposit, the guarantee of our inheritance. He is the, what God has put, the seal of his authority that this bond payment is going to be made of your eternal life. Galatians 4, 1 to 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles, that's the, you can say elementary spirits, of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So, Christ was born under the law so that we don't have to live under the law. That's Christmas. And because you are his sons. Oh, wait. Uh, but but the full, when the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay. So he obeyed God as the perfect son so that when God treats us as a son, it's in accordance with Christ's obedience. So that's why he is pleased with us. Right? Not because of ourselves, but because of Christ. Okay. So this is important. If the way that God is pleased with you is on the basis of Christ's work, is it possible for you to displease God in the eternal sense? Okay. Obviously we do things that displease God. They violate his law, their sin, But his way of relating to us is according to the ministry of Christ, his son. So he treats us now as sons, not as slaves. He views us in light of Christ's sonship. And then he says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's what it means to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The second gift, so that was uh, indwelling of the Spirit. The second gift, assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. The subjective experience that of of uh, our life in light of God's promises uh, is the way in which so this. Adoption that he has made of us is a permanent reality. It's it's unchangeable. But assurance is how we experience that it's true in this life, right? So it's objectively true when you're a believer that you've been adopted. But you need to experience that reality in this life. And assurance is what the Spirit does. He testifies to you. He bears witness with us that we are children of God. Right? Romans 8, 15, 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know that you're a child of God? The Holy Spirit tells you so. Tells your spirit. Blessed assurance. The third benefit is freedom. It's for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. Romans 8.21 speaks of the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wow. And John 8.35 says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. We are no longer slaves of sin, but sons of God. And therefore we have liberty in Christ. You're no longer bound by the yoke of the law. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where is the Spirit of the Lord? In you and in me. Another benefit, being fathered. 1 John, John 4.28, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Isn't that amazing? Romans 5, nine. since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So no longer is God wrathful towards us. Why? Because all of it was levied on Christ. This is important. There are false religions make God a angry dictator towards his children. Okay. The true religion that of salvation comes by grace through faith means that God relates to us as a, a child of his And he does so on the basis of all anger having been taken out on Christ. So the only thing we experience, the only thing we experience of God as his sons is his love. That includes discipline. Okay. But that is different from punishment. We no longer have fear of punishment. Why? Because all the punishment was taken by our brother, Jesus Christ. Just listen to these. These are some of the most important words in in, in the whole of, of all the Psalms. Psalm 103, 10 to 13. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And we see in Proverbs that somebody who doesn't discipline their child hates them. So, of course, God disciplines us. Okay? God disciplines us. But why? To conform us to the image and likeness of his son. And what can be better for us than to become more like Jesus? So... False religions make God an angry person who's going to act towards you on the basis of what you do and you don't do. That's how the love is. The affection gets withheld when you misbehave, and the affection gets given when you behave. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has levied all his righteous, just wrath and anger upon his son, so that you may know only the loving, kindness, disciplining, Christ-conforming, from glory to glory transforming love of God the Father. Gifts. If God has given you Christ, the overflowing divine oil of God's goodness towards us, if He's given us His Son, how much more will He not give us all things? Right, so Luke eleven, eleven to thirteen, what father among you, if your son asks if his son asks for a fish, will instead give uh, him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, this is strange. We'll give him a scorpion. Very strange. I've never thought of giving someone a scorpion. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Okay. Then James four verse two: You do not have because you do not ask. So. I'm, I'm a person who believes the testimony of Scripture that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases, right? That comes from Isaiah. Whatever God, he says, I, 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 the Lord, I've made known the end from the beginning. I will accomplish all my purpose, right? God does what he wants. Uh, he does what he pleases. He gets his way because he's God. He's sovereign. There's not a, R.C. Spool says, there's not a maverick molecule in the universe. <laughs> Nothing is outside of his sovereignty. That's what it means to be God. Otherwise, he's not all powerful. So I I believe that that is true, okay? And I believe that that gives us spiritual power to endure all the things that come our way in this life. But I also believe the spiritual witness in the scriptures that prayer matters, and woven into His will and His decree is the prayers of the saints. We are not we are not robots running out of script. That's not true. That's a false characterization of, of a sovereign God. He has adopted us as sons, right? He does not take counsel from us, but he gives good things to those who ask. And so when he says you do not have because you do not ask, that, that literally means what it says. You, there's no allegorizing and analogies and context and all sorts of things necessary. It's literally, you don't have because you don't ask. And God's a good God who will give good gifts to those who ask. If you ask him for bad things, he's probably not going to give them to you, or he'll give them to you to teach you a lesson. But that's not the point. He's, he's saying here, if you if he is good, ask for good things, and he will give them to you. Okay, so gifts. Gifts come from God. And if you're afraid of asking God, I want to challenge you today. If you don't believe that God will give you good things, that when you ask firstly you're going against scripture, but secondly, you're you're saying he's not really that good Because he gets glory from the good things that he gives He's the giver of gifts every gift good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights All of these things come from him. And so he's glorified when he blesses his people This is not the prosperity gospel This is not like you have the right to a giant house and a very fast car and all that kind of thing That is not what I am saying But scripture defines what good gifts are, right? So how about this? Let's pray for the Holy Spirit and how much more will God give him to us if uh, our earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to us. Okay. What to ask for? That's that's up to you you other than that. Okay. Uh, Last two. Unity with brothers and sisters. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Isn't that great? Isn't this great? Fellowship. Isn't it like? Have you ever been away on a trip and you've and you've been surrounded for the whole week by unbelievers, and you're just like, I cannot wait to see a brother. Your brother, <laughs> your brother! <laughs> there you are. <laughs> we're members of the same household of God, and of course, we're called to be in the, in the mission field and to to bear witness. But we're also commanded not to forsake the gathering together for worship. What a blessing. Uh, uh, the unity of brothers and sisters is it is sweet joy in the heart. Inheritance. Romans 8.17 says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So this means we will receive the kingdom of God as vice regents. So if you think Jeff Bezos, who founded Amazon, he's the richest man in the world now with 111 billion US dollars, uh, so 1.4 trillion rand he's worth. If you think he's wealthy, bear in mind that no one since Solomon and no one after Solomon is ever going to be as rich as Solomon was, right? That's what uh, the Bible tells us, that he's the richest man who ever was and who ever will be. So Jeff Bezos isn't as rich as Solomon. But Solomon had nothing compared to us who will inherit all things with Christ. So how do heirs behave? How do heirs of really, 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 really wealthy people behave. They behave with confidence because they know that they have the, the resources. They know what's in trust for them. What's in trust for us? Eternal life. All things. The new hip. He- <laughs> come Lord. Come, come, come. <laughs> and we ache a hot cry. The, we we yearn, even the creation yearns for the sons of God to be revealed, which will happen at, at glorification at Christ's return. Until then, the creation itself is groaning, and we, we groan as well, and we say, "Come, Lord Jesus." And this is the thing: is is, is the saying, "Come." This is this is connected to that glorification. Romans eight twenty nine: For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn of many brothers. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And I said to Ant, what is the brass section going to sound like when Jesus comes back? I mean, if you've ever heard an orchestra live, I mean, it causes your heart to vibrate. Imagine what that trumpet from heaven proclaiming. All hail King Jesus. All hail the Lord of heaven and earth. Oh, come Lord Jesus. And then finally, this one's brief, the last uh, R. So that was rewards. Response. What is the main response that we are to have? Huh? Yes, fine. Cool. Responsibility. Yeah, you're right. Uh, response. Yeah, it's what we, Yeah. Cool. It's the obligation we have and how we respond. Yeah, okay. It is two things. That we give thanks. If you read the book of Colossians, just giving thanks, abounding with thanks. Giving, giving thanks, giving thanks. I give all thanks to God, blah, 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 blah. It's thanks, 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 thanks. We give thanks. The other thing is, we put to death the old man and put on the new. It's holiness. That's the response. Why? Because Ephesians one four says that he's... Uh, He's uh, chosen us before the foundation of the world, to be destined, to be predestined um, as sons, adopted as sons, um, in Christ, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It, it has the word "that." This is the purpose. This is why he's doing it. He's done all this, he's adopted you as sons, that we might be holy and blameless before him, and that brings him praise and glory. So if that's the objective, that's what we should be about doing. But the Holy Spirit is in us working. And doing the will of God according to his good pleasure. So we have power for this obedience that we're called to. 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up. So now we need to ask ourselves, in closing, the most important question How do we know God as Father? The Bible tells us that we know him as father through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus uh, is spoken of in Hebrews 1. Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us uh, through his son, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, through whom he also uh, created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. See that? He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the stamp that shows the same shape from the wax when it hits the seal. He is the visible image of the invisible God. In John John 14, Jesus says these amazing words to us. Uh, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. He's like, Don't worry about all this other stuff you've been saying. Show us the Father and that's enough for us. And then Jesus says to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? (laughs) Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How then can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The things that I do testify to the truth of what I'm saying. So if we want to know the Father, we've got to know Jesus. Because no, so no one has ever seen God, the Father, right? But Jesus... He is the one in whom the Father has disclosed himself to us. He has made him known. He has revealed himself uh, through the Son. And this is what we see in the parable of the, of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The father in that story is Jesus. Right? He is the one welcoming in the, the lost sheep and the older brother is the pharisees of israel who look upon this and say like we've been doing the good stuff why is that guy getting the feast um, and that's that's what the the pharisees were saying to jesus like listen we've been obeying the law why would these people get the mercy it doesn't make sense jesus is the he's the father figure in that in that story and that's how we can see through jesus the heart of the father that he welcomes those who come to him, those who believe in his name. That, so if you want to know the Father, you look to Jesus. And uh, he, he is the one who, despite our wonderings and our squandering of all the resources he's given us, welcomes us back into the fold. Will he not leave the 99 for the one? It's, it's Jesus. So if you want to know the Father, you need to behold the Father in the face of Jesus Christ who shines towards us through the gospel in his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are our Father. We love you. We delight in you. We worship you. We want to know you better. We thank you for sending your Son to adopt us into your household forever. May we know who you are as a Father in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen.